So on Sunday, Kevin O'Connell rounded out his offensive staff with the hire of Wes Phillips. So we kind of got to talk about the elephant in the room there. But for dessert, we got a mock draft Monday here on the Lockdown Vikings podcast. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. Show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Today on the show, we're going to do Mock Draft Monday at the end of the show, so uh, stick around for that. But. First, we got to talk about the offensive staff. It has basically been finished. I, there's still some assistance and stuff to get filled out, but that's pretty small potatoes. Um, but they have mostly the the people in in the building that that Kevin O'Connell wanted, or at least whoever they could get. Right. Um, the final move was the offensive coordinator himself, which is Wes Phillips, son of Wade and Bum Phillips. Um, if you recognize that name, yes, that is uh, son and grandson, uh, respectively. And longtime Washington assistant has worked for McVay on a couple of different stops, including most recently he was with uh, Kevin O'Connell on the Rams. And there's been a lot of poaching away from the Rams that has been going on here. It seemed like it was down to Thomas Brown, who also I think he's running backs coach for the Rams and Wes Phillip, tight ends coach for the Rams. Those two guys were going to be the offensive coordinator. So it was very clearly going to be somebody who Kevin O'Connell had already worked with. Um, there was some talk early in the process about Liam Cohen, who might end up actually joining the Rams. He's been with McVay before. He's coaching in Kentucky right now. He might go back with McVay. We'll see what happens there. But that's for, uh, a topic for Locked on Rams. It's a, a difficult thing to evaluate these guys, but the staff is now rounded out. There's a few things to talk about with this staff. So let me just run down the list real quick. Of course, you have Wes Phillips. Um, we'll talk about him in a second. Chris O'Hara will be the quarterback's coach. He uh, spent most of his time as just an offensive assistant he or a quality control coach. He's never ascended beyond that level. So he's always been um, like um, on the bottom rungs of this. So this is a promotion for him and he's very inexperienced. You have Curtis Modkins, who has been uh, a run game coordinator before. He's the run game coordinator here and running backs coach. You have the tight ends coach, Brian Angelicchio, um, and Keenan McCardell is staying on as wide receivers coach. Oh, also Angelicchio is the pass game coordinator. So you have an offensive coordinator, a running game coordinator, a passing game coordinator, and Kevin O'Connell, who has confirmed that he will be calling the plays. Um, Chris Cooper, who also was poached from Denver, will be the O-line coach, and th there's your offensive staff. We know about some of the assistant, like OL and assistant uh, quarterbacks and stuff, but don't worry too much about that. Um, so that's the staff. And there's a few things that jump out to me. One, there is a lot of coordinating going on here. Everybody's got a slash something coordinator, uh, except for Chris Cooper and Chris O'Hara. But, you know, you have the OC, a running game coordinator and a passing game coordinator. So I'm trying to speculate on like what the structure of that staff is, but it's kind of difficult to do. Maybe 
Kevin O'Connell is running this the same way McVeigh ran it in L.A., where McVeigh is more of a CEO type and he's going to delegate a lot of that stuff. But then he calls the plays on game day and he puts it all together. But everybody else is going to go come up with the actual designs and, you know, incorporate the scouting reports from the advanced scouts and stuff like that and do a little bit more of the legwork there, which that is the job that Kevin O'Connell was so good at that he got a head coaching job here in Minnesota. So I have a little bit of skepticism about him suddenly going and doing another job, though I do have at least enough faith to give the Wilfs and and Kwesi the, the benefit of the doubt that they hired him because of like leadership qualities and because of his vision for the team and less about like, hey, you were really good at your old job. Come get a promotion with us, like a rewarding kind of uh, vibe for like hiring head coach. I can give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt there because it does sound like leadership qualities and vision for the team were very important for them. All that said, it is also very obvious here that the Vikings are hiring a McVay staff, and that was kind of always going to happen, right? You're going to hire a McVay guy, he's going to bring in a bunch of McVay people. Um, I am a little concerned about cronyism here, and that Kevin O'Connell just hired a lot of people he had worked with before. And I don't know if that's necessarily casting a wide enough net. There are a lot of people out there who might be great offensive coordinators or great minds that maybe, you know, you didn't work with personally, worked in different iterations of the McVay scheme if you're worried about somebody being, you know, scheme dependent. But even that, I don't know, I think it's totally fair to look outside your own scheme. I had been advocating that the Vikings do that for a long time to try to work in other concepts and, and have somebody from an outside perspective and different philosophies that might be able to kind of come in and, and have that different voice in the room instead of a lot of people. But that different voice in the room, um, I do have a little bit of concern here that the staff was not built of the best available candidates, but rather some of the candidates that were closest to Kevin O'Connell, the ones that maybe he knew. And there is a defense for that, right? Where you say, well, these are the people that I know who they are. I know I can work with them. And we're all about collaboration these days, right? So these are people that I know I've worked with in the past and I know that I can do that instead of bringing in somebody else who might have more talent scheme wise. But if I can't work with them, it doesn't matter. And I think that's a totally fair defense for it as well, if that's the way you want to go with it. Um, but I will hold my reservations, I guess. Um, but there's also a weird thing about how many cooks will be in the kitchen and are we really going to segment things all this much? You know, one person's coordinating the pass, one person's coordinating, coordinating the run. Another person is doing something along that. I don't really know what Wes Phillips will do. And then Kevin O'Connell on top of all of that overseeing the process and then, um, calling plays on game day. It's, a, there's a lot going on here, but the real elephant in the room, I think is not necessarily, cronyism but nepotism and that is where we have to talk about west phillips and i'll give you a little bit of information about west phillips as well first things first though let me tell you about the best tasting protein bar on the planet it's built bar built bar it's absolutely delicious man and if you have a late night chocolatey craving like i just did before i recorded this you go reach for a built bar like i just did before i recorded this it's delicious. They're like 130 calories. They're not going to ruin your whole day if you're counting. Um, they've got like four grams of sugar. Compare that to a candy bar has like 30 grams of sugar in it. It's disgusting. Um, it, but it tastes like a candy bar. They even have like a marshmallow kind that's marshmallow puff. It is absolutely fantastic. All sorts of great flavors, even their standard ones like uh, chocolate caramel, chocolate orange. If you're into that, there's a mint brownie one, cookies and cream. Uh, or the puffs ones. There's like a churro marshmallow puff. It's to die for. So, Head on over to built.com. Use promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5. You can get 15% off of your order and get cracking on it. That is, once again, promo code LOCKED15 at built.com. 
Wes Phillips got his first coaching job in 2007. Uh, he, of course, grew up around coaches and on the sidelines, much like a lot of coach sons have. Uh, you have, you know, he is grandfather was bum phillips coach of the oilers for a long time and you know legendary coach and then wade phillips of course legendary in his own right is his father and when wade phillips was the head coach of the dallas cowboys he gave uh west phillips the a qc coaching job and a qc coach for those who don't know is um just like kind of a grunt work coach a guy who's doing a lot of cut-ups and watching a lot of film and and organizing it um and it's very much a learner's job it's kind of like a coaching internship and that's kind of why it goes to a lot of coach sons because you don't have to necessarily be skilled and it's a great opportunity and so when we talk about nepotism and and cronyism but nepotism here in this case because it's a phillips um I, I think we have to make that distinction right where that was 2007 and west phillips has worked in the nfl every year since so this will be west phillips's 15th year coaching in the nfl and he's going to be an offensive coordinator for the first time that is pretty on par um if a little bit overcooked that's he's he's a little due he has paid his dues. And if his last name wasn't Phillips and he was just a random guy that happened to get that QC coach job, I don't think we would look at anything about his career and really blink at it. I think I said the same thing about Clint Kubiak, though. In hindsight, pretty sure I was wrong there. And this is clearly uh, a little bit more of a normal path, but it still kind of raises those questions. You know, how much did he advance because his name made him recognizable? And that his name carried a certain prestige. And so there's a bit of a bias that comes into your mind when you're when you're making decisions about this kind of thing that you might not even realize are coming into play. So it's something to think about. But he was an offensive line coach for a little bit, and then he was a tight ends coach for like nine years. Um, that is a pretty good resume coaching two different positions and having a lot of experience. That's a pretty good resume to make a guy an offensive coordinator. And it's not like he's going to be calling the plays. I'd be much more worried about this if the Vikings had hired a defensive coach and then they just hired Wes Phillips to be the OC and he had to take the offense on entirely like Clint Kubiak did. I genuinely have no idea what Wes Phillips's actual role is going to be. And I hope somebody asks about it because I'm really interested to know how all the responsibilities will be divvied up between all these coordinators. People have talked to Wes Phillips about all this, though, about being, you know, kind of living in his dad and his granddad's shadow and nepotism and all that stuff. And he actually admits that he kind of could have been fast tracked. He worked with Dallas and then Washington and then L.A. Um, and he he met McVeigh in Washington as well in 2017. He was on the same staff with uh, Kevin O'Connell when Kirk Cousins was there. And there were times where he could have, you know, gotten a promotion after two years to be offensive coordinator really quick and get that kind of fast track treatment, which is sort of what Clint Kubiak had. He was like a quarterback's coach for a little bit, and then he was an offensive coordinator kind of right away. That didn't necessarily happen with Wes Phillips. He did kind of have to pay his dues a little bit more. And when you ask him, you say, yeah, like I totally wasn't ready two years after the first time I was an O-line coach. I had no idea what I was looking at. I feel much more ready to you know, be an offensive coordinator now or to be a head coach now. There was a lot of ink spilled about this back in 2017 when Wade Phillips said, yeah, 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 my son, he's ready to be a head coach, which is just a thing that dads say, but it made people write a lot of articles and do some interviews with him so we can get some information about him from it. Anyways, when you talk about nepotism in the league, you have to stress a very particular line because I cannot necessarily say that Wes Phillips didn't earn anything in his whole career and he's always just kind of been there because of his dad and his granddad and it's like maybe 
I can't prove that that that's not true, but I can't prove at all that it is true either. Um, But you can probably say, look, his initial start getting that QC coach job when his dad was the head coach in Dallas in 2007, getting that job probably wasn't an earned thing. That seems a lot like you got that job because of who your dad is, and that's not fair. And so when we have a conversation about nepotism and the coaching pipelines and stuff, and this also ties into the not enough black coaches thing, that whole conversation has to kind of start with, look, how do these guys get their first job? How do they get their foot in the door? But once you're there, I, I guess, I don't know, I hold out hope that if you stay in the league for 15 years, there is some merit to be gleaned from that. That is evidence of some level of merit. But you can tell by my language here, I'm not all that confident. And I do carry that worry with the offensive staff that they are just people close to Kevin O'Connell. And sure, they might work well together, but did you bring in enough talent? It is a very inexperienced staff. Quarterbacks coach has never done it before. OC has never done it before. Head coach has never done it before. O-line coach has been in and out. Running backs coach has been in and out. Those two guys are are a little more experienced. Keenan McCardell's kind of in the middle. Um, It's relatively a very inexperienced offensive staff. And so, look, a lot of us wanted that, right? But maybe the monkey paws curl in here. We wanted a young, you know, fresh mind right after Zimmer and old ideas or whatever. None of that. We got new ideas here, but this is very young. And so that means we're going to have to come to grips with inexperienced mistakes and things that, you know, older coaches know that young coaches have to learn on the fly. My mind goes back to a conversation that we had on this show um, a couple weeks ago with Solomon Wilcots Wilcots at uh, Radio Row. And he said, you know, younger coaches, they have to learn that rhythm isn't everything. Because if you're in rhythm, the defense can then predict your rhythm, right? If everything is on a good beat and rhythmic, then the defense can start to sniff that out and go pick something off or jump a route or something like that. So you have to be careful. And it's like, have we learned that lesson? Or are we going to have to learn that that lesson at a crucial moment in a game that turns into a pick six that loses the game? Those are the kinds of things that I think it's okay to be worried about here with the staff. And as much as the temptation is to say, these guys are new and we don't have any reason to believe that they suck at this yet. Let's all party. It's optimism season. Um, I, I, that's fine. You go do that. You know, don't let me rain on your parade. But I think it's totally fair if you're a little bit worried about it. Um, I don't know. Prove me wrong, right? This is going to be my whole thing this offseason. I will say I'm a little worried about it, but if they come out and they start 4-0 and they prove me wrong, I'll shut up right quick. Anyways, it's Mock Draft Monday, so we're going to do the Mock Draft up coming up next. But first, let me talk to you about Grambling. Bet Online is your one-stop shop for all things Grambling. Football season's over, but that doesn't mean all the sports stopped. We just had some awesome All-Star Weekend betting. Uh, baseball might be played at some point this millennium. Of course, there's you know college softball if you're if you're a real junkie, golf, tennis, MMA, UFC, whatever you want to bet on. You can live bet in the middle of events. So if you miss the bet, you can just pop into the live better and just uh, if you know if you miss tip off or whatever, just pop in and make a. Live I bet it's all the same or watch the lines and ride them. That's the way I like to do it. And the player prop builder is pretty cool too. So head on over to betonline.net. It is where everything is found. There's nowhere better on the internet to do it. That is betonline.net where the game starts. 
All right, all right, all right, all right. It is Mock Draft Monday. I am here at the Pro Football Network Mock Draft Simulator. And uh, big news, we are expanding. Now that the Super Bowl is over, we are expanding to three rounds. So I'm going to do a three-round mock draft. I'm not going to do trades for the first couple of these because I am just still kind of getting to know the lay of the land. Um, But we are going to expand these to three rounds, and they will be three rounds until we start draft season in earnest. Um, The rules here are that I cannot take anybody that I've taken in a previous mock draft. So that forbids me from taking people like Derek Stingley or Chris Olave. Um, and that's not a problem because on the board here is somebody that people have been begging me to talk about. Ahmad, you might know him as Sauce Gardner. So the Vikings need corners so bad. And I know that's so funny to hear after all of the like drafting so many corners things. But the last two of those corners were Mike Hughes and Jeff Gladney. They didn't work out. So the Vikings are here sitting with this need again. Um, Derek Stingley is actually on the board here. But like I said, I'm forbidden from taking him. Actually, I'm forbidden from taking a lot of people on the board. And Sauce Gardner is absolutely the guy. He is a dog. And I talk a ton about like the dog mentality at cornerback and how you kind of have to be a little insane and you have to have that kind of fighter mentality because you are in a war with the guy across from you all day and you have to kind of lose your grip on reality a little bit. You have to play with an unending confidence. As we saw with the last couple years of Vikings teams under Zimmer, if you play with fear, you're doomed. You're going to play too far off. Everything's going to get caught in front of you. You have to be able to take risks even after you've been getting burned all day, because you can't let what happened on the ne- on the last play turn into a catch on the next play. And that is the attitude that Sauce Gardner brings. I'm going to talk about him, I think, in a lot more detail uh, another day closer to the draft when I can really look at him. But I'm excited about this pick for now. And we actually get to keep on going. And what's cool is that we got a couple quarterbacks down here. I think this is going to be the theme of the mock drafts is second round quarterbacks. So these quarterbacks are apparently, I mean, none of these guys are, are supposed to be that good. Here's what always happens. These, you know, February mock drafts are always going to have quarterbacks probably taken in a more appropriate place. And then they all in the you know last three, four weeks of the draft process kind of rise up. And suddenly they're all taken in the top 15, even if they're not even that good. Um, You know, we kind of saw that like Daniel Jones and Dwayne Haskins. Nobody really thought they should be that good, but then they ended up going in the top 15. So Kenny Pickett and Carson Strong are both here on the board. And I am a little bit more partial to Kenny Pickett because I watched him all year. I actually took the time to watch Pittsburgh. And that is driving my decision much more than it is appropriate. But we are also still in the limbo of not knowing what we're going to do with Kirk Cousins. So I can actually say, well, this is a scenario where we traded away Kirk Cousins and we need a guy who's going to be able to come in and like justifiably start day one. And that might be Kenny Pickett. He might be the uh, not stylistically at all. And this isn't a comp, but he might occupy the Mac Jones place in this class where there's a lot of project guys or guys that might not necessarily be ready. And then Kenny Pickett's the one that actually gets picked because he is supposed to be a little bit more pro ready. He's a good athlete. He has good pocket presence. He's got decent mechanics. And I think the 2021 season was really good for him. They were ACC champs, and I think that he proved a little bit of maturity there. Um, and it, I think, helped his stock. But that said, he's in the second round here for a reason. He does have a little bit of panic in him, and that's not a good thing to start with, right? Especially if you're going to want to start him right away, you could kind of exacerbate that problem. Um, and I think he's going to have to learn what checks his arm can cash, if you that makes sense in the NFL. 
Um, There's definitely some things to figure out. And he, as a day one starter, probably isn't the best idea. But again, we're in the second round here, so we're not necessarily looking for that. This could also be a scenario where you have you draft Kenny Pickett and, uh, you know, you have Kirk Cousins for like one more year and then you trade him away next year when you're when your guy is ready to go. Either way. Taking a stab at the quarterback position like this in round two with a guy that many argued could be round one feels like an easier pill to swallow than doing it at, you know, 12th in uh, in round one. Um, Unfortunately, here I have neglected the edge position, but this is going to be the deal with all of these mocks. The Vikings have like 900 needs. I'm not going to be able to to fill them all. But I think in the first two days, you can kind of justify. All right. I can at least expect this person to contribute day one. And uh, you can structure your mock drafts around that. And therefore, like positional value and stuff comes in into play. So at the top of the board here, I'm sitting at pick 77. There's three edge rushers here, and I'm going to take the one out of Minnesota who stood out at the senior bowl. Boye Mafe. Interesting thing. So the Jets coaching staff coached the national team at the senior bowl, which Mafe was a part of. And then they were like, don't draft this guy. Or a, a scout said that was on that staff. Um anonymously was like, don't draft that guy. So that's an interesting thing. Um, But he flashed a lot of ability at the senior bowl. He's been a huge part of the Golden Gophers. I'm sure a lot of you are also Gophers fans. I don't need to explain him much to you. Um, But taking an edge rusher at this point is also like very critical, especially if you remember, we explained a whole bunch uh, last week about the Ed Donatello Donatello (laughs) defense, Ed Donatello, he's a Ninja Turtle, Uh, the Ed Donatello defense which is the Vic Fangio defense run by a different guy, um, that is, it puts a lot of stress on the edge rushers and a lot of stress on the corners. So the fact that we got, you know, a possible succession plan at quarterback for Kirk Cousins, a corner and an edge rusher feels like an appropriate use of resources, which at this still very simplistic stage of draft analysis feels pretty appropriate. As I get deeper into these, I'm going to care about position a lot less and drafting for need and aligning it with stuff. But The way I will always say is I want to draft prospects that have a path toward contributing. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean that they need to be day one starters from day three, right? But I want to be able to at least see the path here. Um, And with all of these guys, I I see that even Kenny Pickett, who might sit behind Kirk Cousins for a year, but you see the path to where he becomes the starter eventually. And that's the kind of thing that you can structure your your future around or your plans for the future around, which is what you're thinking about in these mock drafts. So three round mock drafts, no more Sauce Gardner, no more Kenny Pickett, no more Boye Mafe for the rest of it. Um, We're going to keep doing these every week, every Monday. So come tune in every single Monday. Tomorrow is Twitter Tuesday. And if you like mailbags, you should come every Tuesday as well. Twitter Tuesday. Day. Questions can be submitted to Luke Braun, at Luke Braun NFL or at Locked On Vikings on Twitter whenever you want. There's also an email address, lockedonpodcast at gmail.com, as well as a Google form, which you can find a link to in the show notes. You can submit your questions whenever you want. I'll get around to them eventually. I will see you all tomorrow for that. In the meantime, check out the Locked On Bets podcast. And as always, skull.